Is it just me or you, you feel a little tired this morning? Yeah? No? It's just me? <laughs> like two people said no and the rest were like, how do I answer that? I'm dead tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been, I'm sure, a full, full week. If, you're, uh, if you have kids and you've been on spring break, you've been entertaining your kids all week, so you're probably uh, exhausted and very excited about school starting back next week, right? All right. Well, I told you I wanted to hijack the sermon a little bit, and I want to share with you a little bit about, uh, really about future um, and where we're headed uh, as a church and where the Lord's brought us up till now. And so uh, let me just kind of walk this through. And if, it's one of, if this was one of those journeys where for the first few minutes you're like, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Just trust me, and we'll get there on that, okay? Does this sound, sound good? Um, let me tell you my story about when I served communion in a Catholic church. So... It actually, it's a true story. It actually happened. Um, now, if you'll know, um, I have, uh, I've never been Catholic in, in my life. I was saved when I was 16 years old, and I was saved in a Protestant church, uh, in a Wesleyan church, which this is a Wesleyan church uh, as well. Um, so it would be very odd to hear that uh, a Wesleyan would actually be asked to serve communion in a Catholic church once. But, but let, me, let me share a little, a little further. See, I was 21 years old, and my parents decided to take us to Laughlin, Nevada uh, to, for my 21st uh, birthday. And so Laughlin, Nevada is kind of like mini Vegas, all right? You go, and everything's kind of small size. Uh, the strip is a little smaller, but the lights are just as bright and, and that kind of thing. And so we went out there, and, uh, and I'm not really not into gambling and, and, and being 21 to drink didn't necessarily appeal to me, and, uh, but, but there's a lot of nice golf in Laughlin, Nevada. So that's what we did every day. About 36 holes the whole week long, we just played golf. Well, it came Sunday, and I told my parents, you know, I'd like to go down to that Christian church that's in the little hotel directory that was meeting in the next door hotel. And so I did. I just kind of walked down, took my Bible, and walked down. Uh, you know, I'm a 20-year-old uh, college student at the time, and I walked down to, uh, to this hotel. No church. It wasn't there. They weren't meeting. It just had never been updated in this directory in this hotel. Um, but the, the person said, you know, there's another church that meets next door at the, this, this other hotel, um, which was not next door, by the way. It was a ways down. But uh, nonetheless, I got down to this other hotel, and uh, as I walked in, it was, it was just like walking in here if I was up in the main doors, and it was all casino, uh, open floor. But on the side here was the showroom, and it actually said, that's what it said in mirrored letters, the showroom uh, over here. And that's, you know, where they had their performances and whatnot, and that's where the church was meeting. And so I went in and I sat down in the back row, and I learned very quickly that this was, this was a Catholic church, a Catholic mass service. And they announced at the beginning that the Archbishop of Nevada was in town presiding over the service. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, those terms, that is the head honcho in all of Nevada uh, there. And as I'm sitting there with my Bible on my lap, I looked around and I noticed uh, that just about everyone in the room had something on their lap too. It wasn't their Bible though, uh, it was their cup of coins <laughs> as they were, because you know, they were in the casino and then they came over for the service and they <laughs> had planned to return in a little while to the casino. So it was a 21-year-old boy, Bible on his lap, and a, and a lot of other folks um, with the cup on their lap. And I got a tap on my shoulder and I turned and it was the priest of the church who said, would you mind serving communion today? <laughs> and I said, I said, well, okay, you know, um, but I just want to let you know I'm, I'm not Catholic. <laughs> and, and he said, he said, that's okay. That's okay. I said, but I am Christian. <laughs> and and uh, he said, that's okay. So I went up front, and here's the Archbishop of Nevada, and here's me holding the plate with the bread next to him. 
and uh, people would come up, they'd take their bread, or excuse me, the, the archbishop would take the bread, dip it, and put it in their mouth for them. And so we went right back and forth and, um, and, and served the whole time. And then I got a little kind of pat on the back when it was all done and went back and sat in my chair and listened to the homily uh, there. That's an odd setting. So if you haven't grown up in the church and you don't really understand the difference between kind of the Protestant faith, specifically the contemporary church movement and a Catholic mass, then um, investigate that later on this afternoon. And then you'll laugh even louder as you're, as you're investigating that it was just a total out of place type of thing and so for a long time I tried to ask myself why in the world did they tap on me uh, and ask me surely there was people there that go to that mass every week surely there was some that go there and I just wonder if he looked around and thought you know here's this person sitting with a Bible in his lap and just maybe made a judgment call on it whether it was going to be true or not this is probably somebody we can use and they had said, okay, come on and come up. Now, I was studying Christian ministries in school, so I think I was an okay candidate to serve. Um, but I wonder if in, in his limited knowledge of the situation, he just said, you know, I think that's someone we can use. Tap me on the shoulder, and there I was serving communion. If I went to the Catholic Church today and said, hey, could I serve communion this morning? It's never going to happen. They're going to say, no, you can't, but you're welcome to participate. So... Um, So it was an odd type of thing. Why do I bring up that story? I believe that God in the same way is just looking down and he's just simply saying, who can I use? Who can I use? In fact, he might be looking down and he might be looking down on a group of people that on first sight, we may not have all the tools necessary to really make an impact in his kingdom. In fact, he might look at us and go, well, okay, you're a small church. Um, You know, you meet in a warehouse. Um, You know, you don't particularly bring in loads of cash. Um, You know, I've seen your cars in the parking lot and it's not like, you know, they're the nicest cars in the world. I mean, who knows the list of things you might walk through. But I think God's just looking down and he's looking at who to tap and to say, you know, I think I can use you. I think I can use you. And when I came to interview at Wendover Hills a little over two years ago now, I looked down and I thought this was a congregation the Lord could use. And you're about half the size of what I'm looking at right now. Uh, You know, even on a spring break Sunday, you're about half the size of what I'm looking at right now. And I think the Lord was just looking down and tapping Wendover Hills and saying, this is a church I can use. This is a people I can use. Now, I could have turned to the priest and said, nah, (laughs) you know, I'm good right back here in the back row. Um, I'll, I'll just hang tight. But... I decided to step out in the adventure, wondering what it might be like. I was just praying the archbishop didn't ask me to recite anything, um, uh, because he did recite it in Latin, and it would have been really rough for me. But I think the Lord's just reaching down and tapping us, and the question for us now, and the same question for us to answer always is, what are we going to do about it? Would we rise from our seats and would we step forward even in what seemingly might be an awkward uh, uh, situation and say, you know, I'll I'll answer that call. I'll do what you would like me to do uh, this morning. Let me share a couple passages with you that uh, may be familiar to me, but let me share them anyway. The first comes from Matthew 28. It's in verse 19. This is what we call the Great Commission, if you've heard that that phrase before. It says this, Jesus talking, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. We did that last week right here when we baptized, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. 
We call it the Great Commission because this is where Christ is stating to his followers, this is what I want you to be about. Above everything, do this. This is like the umbrella of what we do as Christians. Do this. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Go teach people about who I am and have them be followers of me. Then baptize them. And when he says baptize, remember I told you last week, I mean, this baptism and coming to faith, I mean, they were like right on top of each other. And so when people came to faith, and then the baptism, it said, you know, we're going to publicly proclaim this. Have you ever met somebody who said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but that's kind of a private thing to me. Those, that wouldn't fit into the Great Commission here. Proclaim it and say it, baptizing them. And then this statement in verse 20, teaching them everything I've commanded you. Uh, you, you notice that the word command is, is pretty prominent in there. Teach them what I've commanded you. The lifestyle that I've put before you, Teach people about that lifestyle. Teach people how to live that way. And so it's this, this marriage of teaching people of a God that loves them and how they can love this God back and receive joy and contentment in their life and then how they can live out that life in holiness. That is the umbrella of what we're called to do. That's our mission of how, what we're called to do. Now, how are we called to do it is often the next question. What do we do? How do we go and do that? In fact, the biggest critique of Christians in the world is not about our message. It's really, uh, the critique is about our avenue and how we try to pronounce our message. It really is. And so I came across this verse. I, I shouldn't say I came across it like I found it this week. To be honest, this is my life verse. Um, this is what's impacted me dearly and in, in, in who I've wanted to be. And when I came to interview here, I thought this verse mirrors this church as well. So I think this should be a good match. Here's what it says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, We were glad to share with you not only God's good news, the gospel, with you, but also our very lives because we cared for you so much. When we think about the Great Commission and then we ask the question, what is our avenue to carrying out the Great Commission? That verse, what you just see on the screen, that's our avenue to carrying out the Great Commission is that we want to love and care for people so deeply that we have the opportunity and avenue to share the good news in their life. You see, we could be a, a group of people that simply wants to proclaim the message, just say the message, you know, find avenues just to say it, and never really have to passionately interact with people. But according to this verse, uh, it, it seemingly wouldn't work. Is it what Paul's saying is Paul's mode is to say, we cared for you so deeply that we wanted to invest our lives with you as well. We wanted to have relationship. We wanted to call you friend as well. And so that was really latched onto me as our life verse. And I believe that this verse is what describes Windover Hills to a T. When people say, what kind of church are you? I mean, this is the kind of, of phrase I tell them about the church. And I believe we continue to be that, and we can even, we can even further, uh, as, we, as we go forward, we can carry this verse out in many, many different ways in our life. Here's our mission, and you've heard me say it many times. It's to help one more person find their way back to God. Do you mind repeating it with me? Do you mind? 
You have to, okay? Just, or else I'll feel silly. All right? Say it with me. To help one more person find their way back to God. Yeah, that was kind of weak. How about one more? You are tired, so you just didn't confess before. So one more time with me, will you? To help one more person find their way back to God. That's our mission. That's what we're about here. Now, I hope all the Christian community and interaction, it comes along with it, but our core mission carries along the Great Commission and how we're going to carry it out in, in Thessalonians, loving people, is to help one more person find their way back to God. Like I would ask you this week, look back on your week and ask yourself, in what way, in what way did you help one more person find their way back to God this past week? Now, if you in your head right away say, well, none, <laughs> I, I can't think of anything, you weren't on the mission this week. Now, don't take that as guilt. That's not the, the, the point of that. So we're not, we're not beating you up here. But to remind us that that's our mission, is to help one more person find their way back to God. And we do it because God, Jesus has called us to do it. He did it for us. And because we love people so much that we connect with them and we have the opportunity to share. But here's what I, I believe, that right now in 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 our church, in the American church in particular, I think this is the hardest time ever to accomplish the mission. I really believe that. This is the hardest time we've ever had in the history of our nation to accomplish the mission that we're on. It's the hardest time ever to share God's word with people. And you know what? It's even the hard time to really have great loving interaction with those that don't know the Lord. It's the hardest time Ever. Here's a stat that just to help you understand what I'm talking about. In 1996, in a Barna survey, 80% of people were favorable to the church and its message. Now, they may not have been Christians and following it, but 80% were favorable to the church and their message. They would say, you know, the church does a lot of good in the world is what they were doing. Whether they bought into it or not, that was their opinion of the church. Just 11 years later, in 2007, 46% answered the same question favorably. 46% saw the church and its message as favorable. That's a huge, huge drop. 80% to under half the people out here. This is the hardest time we've ever experienced to be able to accomplish our mission in this world. So how do we overcome this? Two weeks ago I said and I shared with you about kind of what the Lord was teaching me in my own devotion time. And the two things I shared with you about is I think how do we accomplish this? How do we overcome this time? Well it's going to have to be overcome with a lot of love and compassion on people's lives. Because our opinion is that we want to first tell them how they're wrong and then as we get to know them maybe we'll love on them a little bit. But if they match up first... That's at least the perception out there, whether it's true or not of us. That's the perception. How do we overcome that perception? I told you two weeks ago, we're going to have to get out there and really love people. We're going to have to love people who don't look anything like us or act anything like us. We're going to have to get out there, and we're going to have to be defined by that. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Do you remember singing that? Um, That's going to have to be true if that opinion and that outlook is going to change. But here's the other thing that I shared with you a couple weeks ago that's going to have to happen is we're going to have to be discipled. We're going to have to disciple people. That means we're going to have to spend time where we really teach them and train them what a Christian life is all about. How does this Bible work together? and What does it add to our life? Um, and for a second, you might think, that's great. Let's go love those people. Let's, uh, let's get them in the church. Let's get them saved, and then we'll disciple them. Well, I'm not necessarily talking right now about discipling them. I'm talking about us. We need to be discipled. 
We need to be built up. In fact, you know, in Barna surveys, they find that Christians who are people that say they go to church are seemingly just as, as, as inept at knowing God's word as those who don't go to church. Just as inept. I mean, we, we've got to be discipled ourselves and built up ourselves. In fact, you could say in the phrase, we might look the same. In that same survey, uh, it was the things that came out of what made a Christian different. Can I tell you the top three that came out that made a Christian different? Um, they go to church, um, they own a Bible, and they might give to church. Those were the three things that made us different. But lifestyle issues, lifestyle, how we live out our life, how we morally put God's word into play in our life, fell way down at the bottom. One of the ones that w- was on the list was taking something that wouldn't belong to you. Now, we would hope everybody, Christian or otherwise, would not take something that don't belong to them. 35% of those who were not Christians said they might take something that doesn't belong to them. 30% of Christians said that they would take something that doesn't belong to them. So lifestyle just didn't match up on this. But church attendance, owning a Bible, maybe giving to the church, those things did uh, make quite a bit difference on there. So we have to overcome this by loving people and discipling ourselves. We have to grow up in our, in our own faith and what God's called us to and what we can receive. Can I tell you about one thing? When I look at it and where I think, you know, as Christians, I can tell how we're probably not quite receiving all that the Holy Spirit has to offer our lives. Now, hang on a second. This is not beat up time, okay? Because everything I'm preaching to you I'm sharing with myself, or God has been sharing with me, and he's been sharing it with some greater force than what I'm saying it today uh, to you. Let me tell you uh, what I've seen. If you would just look on Facebook, and I know you do, you know, um, for, for everyone that, that posts, there's many of us others that don't post, but we just stalk and look and read, you know, so you may be one of those. If you would just look at complaint, complaining, you know, oh, what a terrible day. Oh, I just wish I'd get done with this. Can't stand this prayer. Or just on and off. If we would just look at complaint, we would come to the conclusion, boy, Christians really have not found peace, love, joy, and contentment in their life. If you just kind of looked on, on public proclamation of complaint, there's so much more God's spirit has to offer our lives. And so we have to be discipled. We have to be built up and learn what does God have for us in this life. That's part of our mission as well. And I think it'll help overcome this time where it's the toughest time ever, I believe, in American history to share our mission. There's at least six key things that are are kind of barriers to sharing the mission out there. And there's probably many, many others out there. And I'm not going to take the time to walk through six and in fact, I'm developing a summer sermon series where we can kind of walk through six barriers and then how, as God's believers, we overcome those barriers because I think there's tremendous hope in God's message for this generation and for this time in our nation. Tremendous hope. And we just have to ask the question, now, what's the avenue to sharing it? And so we'll talk about that over the summer as as we work through that sermon series. But one of the things that really has stood out to me uh, in several of the things that I've read, and then as uh, some of the stuff I've read, I just didn't believe it. So I had to go back and say, how does that hold up true at Wendover Hills? I called a buddy in Sacramento. How does it hold up true in your church? And guess what I found out? It's a lot truer than I thought. This is just one of the barriers uh, that we find here, and we'll talk again in depth about some of these barriers in our summer sermon series. And that's this. The church is bankrupt. Did you know that? 
the American church across the nation is bankrupt. That from a financial perspective, funding the mission happens very little across the nation. And so when we look at it, at first I just didn't quite believe it. In fact, here's what I, I said. I said, well, that's true about a lot of churches, but it's not really true about the contemporary movement. Contemporary churches are really understanding and getting it. And then I started to research the contemporary church. You know, those of you like us, you know, with rock and music and, you know, you wear your jeans and stuff like that. And, um, and I thought, no, the stats don't hold true. And I thought, well, surely then uh, maybe the contemporary church isn't getting it, but, uh, but Wendover Hills is getting it. You know, we're doing, we're doing good. And then I started to look month by month and where we're at and watching our growth of individuals. Remember I told you we're double the size at least here. And this is a, this is a spring break Sunday. And we're double the size of what I'm looking at from the first Sunday here. And yet it held true as well, number-wise. It held true. You know that 46% of all giving in churches across the nation happens with people that are 65 years and older. 65 years and older, give 46% of the giving. Now, um, look around for a second here, folks. Um, There's not a lot of 65 and olders here at this church. If that were to hold true and hold out, it would mean our our biggest segment in our church is not part of that 46% across the nation. Under 35 years old, give 4% to churches across the nation. So under 35, now if it was 22-year-olds, I'd kind of understand. You're getting out of college. you got to figure out those. Understand. 35-year-olds, we're talking about people establishing jobs now. 35 would give 44%. Here's, here's one that it was surprised me, really. It may surprise you. 25 to 34-year-olds, 0.8% of their income overall 0.8% of their income goes to some type of religious organization, whether it's the church, K-Love, you know, they're doing their pledge drive right now, um, those type of things, 0.8% goes out. When we start to, to really calculate those dollars across the nation, we have to come to the conclusion that the church is bankrupt as far as what a church has been doing normally. A church hires a pastor, a children's pastor, a youth pastor, um, some administrators. You know, they have a building. They, they pay rent. They turn lights on, things like that. They like to fund their ministries, right? They like to have stuff in their kids' program and things like that. Sometimes they like to have outreaches, and you hate to charge the people out there that you're outreaching to, and so we want to offset that cost, right? To do all that stuff, churches are finding they don't have the resources available to do that. Now, this could be a message then this morning where I flip the switch and now start to really push on you about giving and why you should give and those type of things. I think you know that message. You've heard me talk about that many, many times. It's not really the direction I'm looking to go this morning. I do want to share with you, though, that there is this unreliable future, and this, this kind of caught me, that 65-year-olds that, that give today give less today than 20 years ago 65-year-olds give. And every age group all the way down, it's the same if you look back 20 years. What does this mean? It means the church has an uncertain financial future in front of it. And so because of that, really two things have to happen. One is what I just said is we're going to have to disciple believers on biblical forms of giving. The 10% tithe in that, that believers are called to do in God's word. The generosity, uh, the 90% that's left over, that whatever God puts on your heart, you give. We'll never dictate what that is. But if God calls you, if you're listening to K-Love this week and the pledge drive has hit you in a way and you say, you know, I'm going to give to that. 
Absolutely. God calls us to do things like that. We're going to have to disciple people on biblical ways of giving, the 10% tithe and the 90% that we're generous within. But here's the other thing we're going to have to continue to do as the church is we're going to have to make sure that we change the way that we look about with at dollars, that we change the way that we use dollars, that we think about a dollar stretching further than a dollar has stretched up till now. Why? Because we can do all the discipleship we want to do, and let's say every single person in here who isn't currently tithing, and I, you know I would challenge you to do it, but let's say every single person in here that wasn't tithing rose up and tithes. And financially, we kind of were met. And then over the next year here, the Lord adds 100 new people. Well, guess what? At best, you're about eight or nine months that giving trails attendance. That means somebody comes, they plug in, they get active about eight or nine months before they actually start giving in some form. And so what does that mean? We, we need to offset our new folks that we're reaching, our, the growth. And so we have to start rethinking that. Because if eight or nine months has been the traditional, the new stats say they may never come along and become givers. And so we just have to offset that, or we have to think about how we spend our dollars, and we have to stretch a dollar. Now, you understand this principle, right? Because at your house, at the end of the month, you look at your bills, right? And you say, what? Wow, we're going to have to cut something out, right? That's what you do. Or you, you say, you know, is there a way that we could pay for this, and it actually covers two different things? Now, I know for me, I never sign up my two boys because they're close in age. I never sign them up for something without asking, is there a second kid discount? Oh, because what are we trying to say? I want to get both kids in, but I don't want to pay full price for both kids. I would like some type of a better. And sometimes I've found that people are actually so nervous about telling me no that then they say yes and they get a kind of a discount. Great tactic to work, by the way. Um, you want to stretch a dollar out. Well, we want to do the same thing because you've heard me say over and over, we have to be good stewards of every dollar that comes in. If you were to look at our expenses and you were to find 10 areas of frivolous spending, then you should be lashing on us with a big, a big reed that hurts bad. You should be. Because we need to be responsible with every dollar that comes in. Because it's God's money. It's God's 10% that he has called us to give for his mission. And so we have to be very, very frugal with that, but we have to be good stewards of that as well. And so we want to change. If, if this is our uncertain financial future in America, we have, to, we have to change the way we look at dollars. This brings us to our building search. You know for the last year and a half, we have been searching for a permanent location. The way this all started is that we currently lease this building, and our lease was to expire last April, April of 2012. And our hope was that when we got to that point, we would at least be entertaining uh, the, the thought of, of a permanent building that would allow us um, to own, to pay off quickly, and then to be debt-free as far as a building went, with the exception of lighting and utilities and things like that. Well, we signed a one-year lease at that point uh, to stay in here as we continued our, ser- our search. We honed in on a building down in the High Point area that we actually made, a, made an offer. We received a counter. We made a counter. And then it went a bit cold on where they wanted to stand. Now, let me tell you right now, 
If we didn't want to honor every dollar that came in and be good stewards, we'd be in that building right now in High Point. We'd be holding services right now in that building because we would have pushed above our ceiling of what we thought we should spend and we would have just got into it. And believe me, I want to be honest, there was nights when I laid in bed and I was financially going over the figures in my head and I was trying to figure out how we would make it work and I came up with some very creative plans in my head on how we could make it work. I mean, some of it involves Suzanne out at the corner doing a bake sale and things like that. Um, but, but, you know, the bottom line was we knew what was financially responsible and we knew what wasn't. And when they wouldn't come down, we just said, hey, it's gone cold. It's gone cold at this point. And we just continued to look at other buildings as we've continued to do up till now. There was a piece of land that was offered to us at a very, very good price. In fact, we met as a board and we decided uh, that probably with one other question answered, we would probably make an offer on this land, five acres of land. Um, and it was a great location and uh, far under what, uh, what it was valued about, almost half what it, what it should have been sold for. And then Monday morning, right after that board meeting, we got a call that said, hey, um, I've sold not just that piece of land, but like all my land. Uh, and one person came in and said, I want to buy it all. And so they did. And that door was closed. And so we continue the building search, and we continue looking. We're in three, really three locations right now that we're looking at and talking about uh, right now. Um, one of the things that, that is important for us that as we, as we grow and as we look at future buildings is, like I said, we're owning a building. But the other thing is looking at the percentage of our giving that goes to paying for a building. Currently, it's about 46%. Of, of everything that comes in, our monthly giving has to go to building expenses. That's our lease uh, here. That's the utilities. It's not the most efficient building, so we probably pay a little higher, uh, maybe a lot higher in some of our utilities. It's probably why the, the praise team gets angry phone calls from me if, you know, if something's left on on Wednesday night, a heater or an air conditioner, um, because you know, I'm just, I, I can feel it coming. Sometimes I'm actually up here preaching and I hear the heater thing kicking on, and I like have this momentary dollar sign thing go on in my head, and, um, and I have to get back focused. We want to we try to get that down at least 10%, somewhere in the 30 to 35% range. That would be much, much more healthy for us to be in that range of what a building would cost us. And then we want the opportunity to pay off that building as quickly as possible so that 35% only keeps going down in percentage uh, month after month or year after year as we pay off that building. That is important to us, and it, brings, it, uh, it really makes us stretch that dollar and stewardship-wise, it's, it's really important um, to us. Our current lease is up. <laughs> we are currently sitting in a, a building that we no longer have a lease on. It, it went up April 1st. We're in a month-to-month type situation. We pay $5,800 a month in lease and to service this building, and that doesn't count the taxes that we uh, have worked into our lease that we have to pay for. Even though we're a nonprofit, uh, some way we, we have to pay taxes on this on this building uh, as well. That also doesn't include servicing that has to happen on this building at certain times because for the most part, anything inside the walls we take care of. There was a there was a, a week where we had a plumbing issue uh, over here. And we were trying to figure out, is it outside the building, the clog, or is it inside? Lord, please make it outside the building. (laughs) And sure enough, it was. So we didn't have to pay for that one. Um, 
So there's a lot of things that go into that for us here. Now, the dollar amount, though, we would love to see that dollar amount come down. Uh, The also thing on top of that is for every dollar we pay here, there is never a day where that dollar will be paid back to us in the building because we lease. We lease entirely. And the, and the Lord has used this building to a, a great level for us over the years. It's been tremendous. Uh, if you ever want to trace the history, grab like Leslie or Rich Brendel or Jim Bethune and, and ask them to tell you the history of the ministry in this building. It's been phenomenal what the Lord's done. But we believe we're at a time where we have an owner that would prefer that we sign about a four-year lease. They have now come to us and offered a one-year lease at the same price, though, um, but they prefer that we'd sign a four-year lease. They would like to see a long-term lease eventually signed. We just don't feel like that makes sense to us to do that in this building. We feel like it's time for us to get out into our own building and to make sure that we're being uh, good stewards of the, the resources and dollars that come in. In that period of time, we we started talking as a board somewhere around eight months ago that there may be a period of time for us where we might have to temporarily move into a different location to prepare a building or to get a building ready. When the land came available, we thought, well, surely we'll have to be in a in a a school or another facility for a certain period of time while we build on that. But even in the buildings we've looked at, remember, we're looking at buildings that probably will take a lot of renovation, a lot of hard work on our part, and therefore we're going to have a period of time where we need to be somewhere else because we don't want to pay the lease here and pay uh, any type of, of uh, payment, uh, loan payment uh, as well. And so in looking at that, we started to consider moving into a school, and we started to look at schools. Um, And one thing we learned very quickly at the school, which was exciting at the beginning, was that a school was incredibly cheaper than being in this building as well. Again, we pay about $5,800 to service this building um, a month. A school would cost us about $1,540 to be in over the course of that month. The nice thing, too, that we learned very quickly about it, that if something goes wrong, a light falls on the ground, we don't have to get in there and replace that light. It, it would be done for us, which is great because we don't have a full-time maintenance person on, on staff here uh, as well. So we started to look at that. But let me share you the one big thing that we came up with. The one big thing, it was this, is we were trying to figure out how do you over, overcome the mindset of people saying, isn't this a move backwards? Isn't it a move backwards to, to be in a building and then go to a school hoping to get back into another building? Isn't it a step backwards? And the more I started to think about that, because my first thought was, man, it's gonna, it is going to kind of look like that. My first thought was, well, here's what we need to have, is we need to have a building in place that I can sit a big chart in front of you every Sunday when you walk into that school or other facility, and you'd go, hey, there's the building. There's the building. We're going to be in that six months, one year, whatever it takes to get in there. We're going to be in that building. That was our hope, and we kept working and working to that end, to say we're going to have a building. We'll move into a school. You'll see it every week. We'll cast the vision every week. We'll have a great, you know, beautiful colored chart and everything, and that's the way we'll move. But guess what? No matter how hard we tried on this, the Lord never opened up the door for that building to be available and ready for us on April 1st of this year when our lease ran out. It just never became available for us. And we thought we were really close a couple times, and it just didn't didn't materialize. And then the more we started thinking about it, and the more we started thinking about this— what is at our core? Who, what are we about at our core? And at our core, we have a mission. 
That's what we're about. We have a mission that I shared with you before, and we have an avenue that I, Lord, I think the Lord's given us on how we share that mission and how we speak with people in that. And when we looked out here and we looked at the idea of finances here, we learned there's a lot of things in that mission that we are not in a position here to be able to finance. We just can't finance it. We just have to tell people, we, you know, we don't have that money. And it's been great. Some people have risen up and they've actually paid for it and they don't turn in receipts or anything like that. They just go with it. But as your pastor, I sit here and think, how do we stretch that dollar to be more about the mission of what we're doing? And so we started to reconsider going into the school even without having our building in place yet. And here was the history of how it happened. There was a, a, up here at Guilford Elementary, where the school we first went to, there was a principal in place that when we went up and we started talking uh, to her about the situation, uh, I couldn't feel out for sure if she was into it or not, but she didn't say no. So we just proceeded, did all the paperwork, and put it all in place. And then we learned from her she really wasn't interested in doing that. And so the door kind of closed, and we moved on, and we uh, actually started in a little bit more with the building down in High Point. And then a new principal came in, and I met that new principal, a Christian principal, somebody who loves the Lord, and we talked, and she said, I would love to figure out a way on how to get you guys into the school, and we started to talk about that avenue and that route there. In fact, we talked about it so much with with her and the board that we came to the conclusion that, indeed, we can move into this school, but no janitor wanted to work on on Sundays, and that's a problem. You have to have a janitor to work, and so we just thought, well, the door's closed there. And we moved on and we started to track on this piece of land that I talked about. Then I got a call from the principal that says, hey, you know, the janitors came to me and they would like to do every other week. They want to do it now. It's great. So we went and sat and we talked. And since the door closed on the land, we thought, well, maybe this is how the Lord's leading. And we tracked and we tracked there. And a couple months after that, we went to the school and we said, okay, I think we're ready to talk about moving in. Here would be a date that we would suggest And guess what? Sitting there for the first time now in three months, both of the janitors said, yeah, I just don't think it's going to work in our schedule. (laughs) And that was on a Wednesday, and I went home thinking, gosh, Lord, what in the world are you doing? I mean, you've gotten me right on the edge each time, and then then you backed off on these things. And I I called the board, and I just said, hey, uh, it's a closed door there at the school. We'll just just back away. We'll regroup. And I actually used the phrase, hey, we're going to start from square one now on this. The land had shut down. The school had shut down. And we just left it at that, and we just started from square one, looking at buildings again, and started to visualize where would the Lord want us and what would he do. And then I got a call from the head of maintenance in, this, in the, uh, the school district, and she said, um, so when are you starting at the school? I said, oh, well, you know, it's not going to work out, the janitors. She said, well, I can get a substitute janitor in there uh, for you. Would you be interested? So, well, we'll check it out and tell us, you know, what, what that looks like, um, Talked to the principal, and she was okay with it. The lady called me back that day. She had got it that quick and told me, she said, I found a janitor. He had worked three years with a previous church. He had never missed one Sunday in those three years, and he's raring to go. He'll start next week if you're ready to go. (laughs) Well, next week's not going to happen because I'll be lynched by my congregation. Um, But it opened up the door to it again. And so here we were walking this path, and we, we ended up with this, this Christian principal who really would like to open the avenue for this happening for us. And then we ended up with a janitor who served churches and is, is kind of passionate about seeing a church be able to, to meet this way. And it, those avenues weren't available before as we walked the path. 
Now, our, when we brought this to the board, as we talked for really a two-week session, our two different meetings, our conclusion was we felt like if those doors lined up, which they have, that we feel like moving into the school now for us is the best route for us as a church and moving forward with the mission of who we are. Now, for, don't for a second think that means we're not looking at buildings. We were just last week in one as well, walking through and trying to visualize uh, what we'd be getting into. If we were to get into an established building, we would think 12 months is what we're looking at in a school. If we were to buy land, we're looking at 24 months to try to build on that land. And the the tracts of land we're looking at, we're looking at kind of built-ready tracts of land, so not areas that need a lot of clear-off. Um, and so that's where the board came to the conclusion of. Now, here's the, here's the question that comes, or the, the, the fear that comes when we say something like this, um, is, first of all, are we just moving to save money? Well, let me tell you, we have no desire to move just to save money. I don't for a moment want you to think that what we're going to do is now uh, we don't have to give as much or, or, or we're not going to spend as much. We're reallocating money. What we're saying is we've had money tied up in a building. Let's tie up that money in mission now. We can take this $4,300 savings, put some of that towards building fund and future building fund, plus put it towards mission, what we're trying to do here uh, at Wendover Hills. And we come out ahead on both sides. The other thing the Lord has just been impressing on me and impressing on my heart, and I haven't told the board about this because I know that they would have just been all over me to say, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Um, so I chose the public forum. So, <laughs> but I felt so strongly that, that the Lord has, has said, look, Tom, if you're going to stand up there and you're going to tell people about you know, servicing the mission or funding the mission and how here we can stretch a dollar and reallocate, you know, basically I felt like the Lord saying, Tom, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Because the truth of the matter is, outside of building, the greatest chunk of our expenses is my salary as your senior pastor. It's the greatest chunk. And so personally, Sheree and I have come together and we even have a, a, a desire to talk to the board about, about some reduction in salary, specifically for for the case of, of where we're going and what we're doing. But let me give you a little heads up on what I'm talking about here. I have no desire to move us to a school or to take a reduction in salary simply so that you and I can give less each month. I, I want to move us to the school and save money. I want to shrink my salary so that we can, we can fund a mission of what God wants us to do. That's at the core of what this is about. And so not only do this morning do I say you keep giving if you've been giving because the greater amount of your dollars is now going towards mission, not to this building. But I'm going to call on those who are not currently giving to rise up and give, to follow the biblical principle of giving. And because now when you give, even more of your money is going to mission to mission, to reaching those that you know that are far from Christ, to building up those believers that are weak in their faith or struggling, to helping restore marriages. And I spend the greatest amount of my relational conversation with you on marriage issues, to help restore marriages and build marriages up. The greater amount of your giving will now go towards mission. 
And when we enter a building, we have no desire to enter a building saying, well, we'll enter this building, now we'll have a mortgage, and we'll need to grow 100 people to pay the mortgage. No, we want to keep the mortgage just kind of like we're feeling now and let the growth you know, let, let the growth go where it wants to go. And, we, and we've decided as a board no more than 10% increase uh, when we get into that, that building is w- when it comes. That's kind of where we're at in that. And so that's, a, that's a, a bomb to drop on you this morning to share with you. And I know right away, some of you are incredibly logistically gifted, um, sometimes to the point of annoyance. But uh, uh, <laughs> no, it's good. It's really good because you're going to come in so handy in the next few uh, few weeks and months in your logistical pl- training. Uh, you'll want to know right away, well, when are you talking about, Tom? When is this going to happen? Well, it won't be next week, um, but we're looking at, we're eyeing June 2nd as a target date to moving into the school. That gives eight weeks of, of transition. We've already developed a transition plan and walked through it on what would be needed. Some of you are logistically minded, and you can help us to flush out that transition plan to a greater degree, and we'd certainly ask you, uh, talk to me about that. We'd love to bring you on in that. Um, finally, I'm going to tell you my story, um, and, then, uh, and then I'll kind of tell you where we go from here. In 2004, uh, 2003, uh, we were at a church and we were meeting in a neighborhood in an old army barrack. It was just plopped in the middle of this neighborhood. Probably th- those things that you see go by on semis, you know, that you wide loads. It was one of those. And it was put down and we were meeting there. It was actually two of them. We were meeting there. And we had grown to the point, about 250 people, 220 people, and we had grown to the point where these little army barracks just couldn't handle what we were doing. In the youth ministry down there, we, were, we had about 45 kids or so in an area that, that really was good for about 15 kids. And so uh, it, it became time for us to need to move. And there was a little plot of land up there. The Lord opened up the door. We bought the plot of land. Um, but in the meantime, we moved into a high school uh, for that period of time. And when we moved into the high school, the same questions that are rolling through your head, the same question marks, is it a step backwards? You know, would we grow in a school? How much work will it be? Those same questions, we had every single one of them, believe me, all right? And we moved into that high school, and we started to work. And it took us a few weeks to kind of figure out what we were doing and how we were doing it, and what we experienced while we were there, I would not have guessed. Here's what I thought. I thought we would move into the high school and we might lose a family or two that it wasn't quite the same, and they had some kind of nostalgia for the building. And we would move into the school, maybe maybe 190 to 200 people, and then the Lord, or into a new building, 190, 200 people, and then we'd grow from there. But the Lord did the exact opposite. He took us from 200, 220, and while we were in the school, we focused so hard on mission because we didn't really think about building much other than set up, tear down. We focused so hard on mission, reaching people, loving people, serving people, and things like that, that when we moved out of there, we were 350 when we moved into the new building of that time. And it was such a blessing to be a part of it, not only for the sake of what God did during that time, but I learned a few things on what we would not do uh, when we move uh, into a school as well and, uh, and what, what we would want to avoid during that time. I know the Lord can do it if we're mission-focused and mission-driven in that. Now, I didn't want to just keep it at my story, so I started to call a few people who I know are in schools who have been in school and then moved into it. And for the most part... It was, it was very positive stories. I did talk to one guy. It was a nightmare story for him, so I don't want to paint it all roses. Um, but 
uh, very positive experiences about growth during this time. Remember, our goal is to get in a permanent building that we would pay off quickly and we would have the greatest percentage of our giving going towards mission indefinitely. Um, and that, that would be our goal, one year to two years, depending on what type of facility or, or piece of land that we purchase. And so that's where we're headed and that's what we're about. Here's my charge to you. And I want to tell you that even if this morning you walk away with question marks, or even if you're a person this morning, and, and I know there may be a very, very small number of this, but even if, you're, if, even if it's just one who says, man, that is absolutely not what I want to do. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to commission you this morning. Would you, nonetheless, would you trust the leadership of your church? Move forward with us for a 12-month period. And at the end of that 12 months, if, if this is just not quite right for you and your family at the end of what we're doing 12 months, by all means, we will bless you, release you, and send you on, and there wouldn't be a single hard feeling about it. But we're going to implore every single Wendover Hills person to go along with us for this full journey for the next 12 months and what the Lord's doing. And just sit back and trust that as the Lord's been speaking to the leadership for the last year and a half, that he has a blessing that wants to come out of, of what we're doing and where we're going. So, um, so that's my charge and my, my commission to you. If you would do that, I think the Lord has really has some blessing to outpour on us. Now, is it going to be hard work? No doubt. No doubt. I've already looked, and there's no one that will have to work even harder <laughs> than the guy you're looking at right now. I realize it's much easier for me to drive to a church and unlock a door and come in than it will be otherwise. We recognize that. In fact, there, there'll be a call for you to have to do some stuff that, that we've not normally done together, like set up chairs um, and things like that. But it's just a small, small price to pay for the mission. Very small for the mission of what we're going to do. Um, and I believe the Lord is in. Now, going from here, uh, this week is a great time for you to contact me, talk to me, email me. Let's chat this through. Let's talk about this uh, in. Here's what I would ask is, um, you know, we don't want to so much get together in, in groups and chat w- without at least talking to leadership if there's concerns, because there are things that we have processed and we've worked through and questions that we asked and tried to answer to be ahead of the game on this that we might have some insight to, to share with you, and we'd love to do that more uh, as we go on this week. So it's a great week. I know anytime this week you want to contact me, uh, that would be great, preferably in the non-sleeping hours. So you're welcome to contact me, and, and I would love to talk to you about it. So. All right. Fair enough? All right. Anybody frightened? <laughs> Those who put your head down, I'm going to gonna then take it as a, no, nah, I'm good. So, all right. Well, let me pray for you and pray for this, and then I uh, will invite our praise team back up. Father, we thank you for this morning, and, and Lord, I thank you that, uh, uh, that you do, you lead and you guide and you direct, and and Lord, I know that uh, even if there's, there's some feeling of nervousness or, or questions or, or even, you know, even maybe one with panic, let this morning, Lord, that you could sit back and just trust you're leading us, you're guiding us, you have a great future in front of us. And so, Lord, if we would surrender and commit and go with you um, in all areas of our life, not just building, but in, in all areas, Lord, that you have blessing that you have joy, contentment, peace that you'll bring to us. And Lord, above all, we want to pray that this mission is accomplished, that we would see more and more people come to know you as their Savior, and that each one of us would continue to be a part of helping one more person find their way back to you. And so, Lord, uh, this week, would you help answer questions, even questions that leadership have, and would you guide us and direct us uh, in this area? 
We pray for this in your son's name. Amen. Well, thank you. I appreciate your patience and walking through that. Next week, we'll kind of pick up with the Messengers of God series. Um, there's a, there is this great passage in Elijah that really talks about the struggle of depression. And we're going to walk through that whole passage next week. So I encourage you to come. If, if that's a struggle for you ever, come. If you know somebody in your life, great Sunday to invite them to come next Sunday and be a part of that. So um, again, if you're not plugged into a small group and you want to get in one, you, we can get you one as soon as tonight. But just let us know and we'd love to plug you in. So I want to invite our ushers to come and they're going to receive our morning offering. And while they do that, why don't you stand up with us and we'll go out singing.